As a sales manager, you are judged by the performance of your team and you're praised when they do well. But one thing that you've not been able to figure out is how to get everyone on your team consistently hitting quota every single month. On the Snack Size Sales Podcast, we discuss the science of selling STEM. Sales leadership in the science, technology, engineering, and manufacturing fields is difficult. You will learn from sales managers just like you that will give you actionable insights and tips on how to develop as a leader and achieve your revenue targets every single month. So pop your headphones in and get ready to listen to my guests today. They will give you information and inspiration to ensure that you have actionable insights that you can put into place today. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Science of Selling. Today, I have Chris Crest Angel with me. How are you, Chris? I'm great. Thank you for having me on today. I'm so excited to chat with you. Let me tell you guys a bit about Chris. He's a proven medical device executive with over 20 years of experience. He focuses on innovating strategies for success while increasing the capacity of his team's performance along the way. He has passion, authenticity, and results that have been a consistent theme in his career. Wow, those are are some strong words, passion, authenticity, and results. We don't typically see those three words together for sales. People, tell me about how did you get started in your career? Yeah. Well, first I got to tell you, my wife wrote that. So, um, no, I'm just, oh. uh, I, uh, how do you get started in my career? I, um, have always been focused at, uh, trying to bring people or organizations or groups value. And as a byproduct, you know, trying to be around really smart people, really talented organizations as, um, I've had that opportunity. So out of college, got into pharmaceutical sales, really enjoyed that opportunity, enjoyed being in healthcare, but was looking for something maybe just a little bit more challenging for me. So about 17 years ago, I started in medical devices in a segment called neuromodulation, which uh, for our particular area works with patients who have chronic pain. We're basically trying to help them with small electrical impulses, endure their pain and survive with their pain, kind of like a pacemaker. And I've been with uh, in that space for the last 17 years, started as a clinical specialist who um, is the person that assists the physicians in surgeries and helps the patients with the therapy, all the way up into my current role, which is the vice president of business development for a startup in the space of neuromodulation right now. So, you know, one thing that I have learned recently, really through my podcast, is the fact that medical device salespeople typically are like in the OR, like they're right there with the surgeon. So tell me about like some of your early experiences with that. I'm not sure I'm the best person to ask that. That's because they wanted me to get into leadership before I spent too much time in the operating room. But no, to be honest with you, it is a very unique and really exciting component of what we do because all across medical device, there are usually situations where you walk into the operating room. You're not scrubbed in. You're not not a surgeon, but you're assisting the room conducting this kind of outcome for a patient, right? So they're having a surgery or they're having an implant or there's all these people in the room that are there to help. And the medical device rep is one of those individuals. For my particular device, in neuromodulation, uh, better known as spinal cord stimulation, there's actually a part where the device gets put into the patient and the entire surgery stops. And they look at you and they say, okay, Chris, you're on. And your job is to calibrate the device in real time to the patient with their feedback. 
And once the patient's okay with that and the physician's okay with that, then they, they basically progress the surgery and um, send the patient on their way. So what I do, you're really, really involved. And, and to make it even a little more unique is when the, the patient gets implanted with their device, we continue to interact with them just like a pacemaker. So they have our cell phones, we're talking to them, they're talking to people that work for the organizations that provide the product to make sure that they're having success with the length of their therapy. Now that's the minority of the situation, but the majority is that you're in that operating room with a physician trying to help provide the best outcome possible. So it, it's very rubber hits the road kind of scenario. When you have a successful sale, you're there as the sale is happening. And the bigger and the better part of that is watching the patient have success and, and improve their, their life circumstances. So, you know, in, in my world of uh, chemical sales and capital mm-hmm. equipment, one thing that I've always told the salespeople to do is you got to get your hands dirty. You got to get your feet dirty. You got to be in it, right? So I always tell them, get out there with the customers, go in the field. If it's a pipeline company, go out there in the pipeline, because once they actually see the product in action, it helps them become a better salesperson. So as you were going through your career and that was the trajectory that you had to follow, it's like, I'm in the OR. How do you think that helped you become a better salesperson? I mean, that's a great question because you literally have to live it. I mean, you you sell a solution and you become the solution. And so there's an intimacy there and a learning that's a part of it that makes it really kind of special. But I guess you could just kind of... um, set up the walls, like you're done with the sale, you're just going to show up and do like the minimal amount expected and like hope it goes well. But I think to your question, it's like to get dirty, you have this opportunity, you know, the physician's going to use your product, you know, this patient's going to have this surgery, they're going to have this outcome, but there's still ways that you can help the facility. There's still ways that you can help the physician identify more patients or have, have had the patient have a better clinical experience. And those fall outside of your product. They're very close. It's like a Venn diagram, kind of just like outside of what you do. And you only figure those things out by getting dirty, by being in the places that the surgeries are happening, being in the office with the physician, getting to talk to the patient, getting to talk to the institutions that are making some of the buying decisions too. And so I couldn't agree more. I mean, getting into it and just seeing it and feeling the pain of the circumstance that they're trying to solve. And and hopefully you're the solution your product is. And so you only get that if you're there at the point. So tell me about when you transitioned into leadership, how was that for you? It was great. I mean, it's, you know, I, I joked about being in the operating room. I, I think I was good. I don't know if I was great, but I definitely aspire to help others. I think it's fun for me now to know that I started in that role and that my team is comprised of all people that usually start in that role. But I, I really have a passion for helping other people, for developing other people, bringing other people up, getting them out of their, their comfort zone and really challenging them to be their best versions of themselves and watching them have success, not just in my organization, but for the whole career. And so it brings out, I would say, the best in me. And so I've, I've enjoyed being part of a, you know, in a leadership journey here these last decade. And so the company that you previously worked for versus the company you're at now. So you're in startup world now. So when you transitioned from a bigger company into startup world, what was the biggest like aha for you? Oh, goodness. I'm sure for people that are either in big companies or startup companies, there's a, there's a lot of different answers to this. You know, I think for me, the one that probably sticks out the most is just the vulnerability and transparency of your role. What I mean by that is you're just exposed. Like there's no layers of the organization. There's no, you know, 15 stakeholders on a decision. It's just you a lot of times making the decision, ride or die. And um, it's equal parts energizing and really scary if you're being honest. And I think trying to get comfort with that as quickly as possible is what empowers you to make good decisions and have success. 
you know, in a bigger organization, there's usually a lot more people that are involved in these decisions and the time and just the confluence of events takes longer, which is good in its own way too. But when you go to a startup and there's, you know, 25 of you instead of 2,500 of you, you're just doing a lot of things really quick. And um, like I said, it's equal parts energizing and scary depending on where it's at. But it's for me personally, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. So walk us through you coming to this company, startup company, what were your first 90 days, six months like? So help the person who's like, okay, I'm considering going to a startup yeah. in a sales leadership position. What kind of things did you do? That's a great question. Um, it's been only eight months, but it feels like eight years. That's the first joke I guess I'll make because there's just, <laughs> there's so much content. I feel like at least from, and I left my role at a big organization. I was in my, the fourth year of my role. So in a lot of ways, I, I'm not saying I was a master, but I, I definitely knew what I was doing and things happened easy, more easy for me than maybe someone who started the role. So I exited at the end of that and I started a brand new role with a brand new organization as a startup. So it's like the workflow and the education just change. It flips on itself. So I think my advice and consideration on this stuff is you got to prioritize and you got to focus. I think that's the, the hardest thing that I've seen with a startup is that there's so many good ideas and you just need to push. You need to push and find the great ideas. You need to make sure you continue to focus and prioritize. I think you know, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, we all know who that is. There's a great documentary on either Showtime or HBO just about their friendship. And uh, there's a brief subset in that that story that talks about what their most successful thing in their careers have been. And they both said focus above all else. And I've always kept that as kind of a guiding line. I think it applies more in, in this role than ever before. It's like, what are my priorities? How do I make decisions around those priorities? How do I help my team protect their time and make decisions around those priorities? Because there's so much just like scope creep scope creep, scope creep um, when you're small and you're trying to move fast. So that's my advice to being effective. I'm not sure that was your question, but I, I threw it out there anyway. I think my advice on why you should consider is it's a lot of fun. And, you know, we all work really hard. And I think for me personally, post-pandemic wise, you take an evaluation of how you invest your time. I think we all did, right? Because we had a lot of time all of a sudden. And then, you know, we've gotten back to this work world. And so my point being is that if you're going to invest time in anything, whether it's 100 hours or 10 hours, I think you really want to be intentional more than ever about your time. And the one thing about a startup is like, you know, your time's going into stuff that that is happening. It's real. It may not be successful, but you know, at the end of the day, if you put in 12 hours or 16 hours or eight hours or whatever it is, you can like to the second, say you knew what you were doing and how you were doing it and why it mattered. And that's, that's a ton of fun. It's a ton of fun. That's awesome. So you said a couple things that I want to drill down in a, a bit more. Time management. This is something that a lot of salespeople don't really do well with. Mm -hmm. So what are, how do you help your team manage their time knowing that, you know, hey, we're on a small team. So it's not like we have a, a BDR and an AE and sales operations and all of these people to help us. What are some things that you tell them to help keep them on track? So I would say from a time management standpoint, I, I prefer more of a, a top-down approach versus a bottoms-up approach. I'll explain that. But like a bottoms approach to me is like, okay, we're going to create a calendaring function or we're going to block time or we're going to do all those things, which are all really, really important. But what I've learned working with hundreds of people is everybody's so different and their lives are different and their families and their kids and their friends, it's all different. So it's like, it's not a one size fits all thing. Going back to my earlier answer, you know, the thing that is the same is we all have the same priorities or we should have the same priorities. And so the top-down approach for me is to make sure that usually on a bi-weekly basis, we're stating what the priority is and then we're kind of going back and qualifying how we perform to that priority. As a byproduct of that discussion, that's where you get in to say, well, how did you manage your time? 
right? Because that's what happens. Like if you're effective and you knew you did the right things, you need to do more of them. If you're ineffective, then probably something else got in your way. Well, what was that thing and should have gotten your way? And that's where I think the granularity of then making choices about how you use your calendar or how you schedule time or email, text, Slack, whatever it is, it really uncovers itself. And for me, I guess my advice is priorities should be number one when you think about time management, because the second thing is everybody's really different. And just because you read something or hear something doesn't mean it's going to work for you in your lifestyle or your sleep schedule, your extra, whatever it is. Right. So, but if we agree that these are the priorities of work, then you should be able to acclimate yourself accordingly and make time management a part of what you do and you have to do for that matter. So how do you deal with those salespeople that still don't get it? The ones that you're like, this is what you have to do. And you kind of let them be autonomous and they're still underperforming. Well, this is a whole different conversation, but accountability is really, really high for me. I mean, I, I kind of have a mantra of challenge directly, care compassionately, which means that I want to be very direct and accountable with the teams that I work with about their performance. But I do it from a place of, of sincerity, like in and positive intent, like I'm trying to genuinely help someone. If you want to be a sales rep and you want to be successful and you've got to go from here to there and you're not getting there and you're willing to take my coaching and feedback, you should probably get closer. I'm not saying I have all the answers, but you should get closer. If you're not exercising and utilizing the feedback that is provided, then that's a you problem. And when it becomes a you problem, then then we have a performance conversation. It's just, it's not going to end up being the fit that we look for. And, and that's good too, because what I've learned, and I've had a lot of those over time, is they end up finding a better skill set that mirrors what they are and what they want to be and have a ton of success with it, right? So I guess there's there's two parts of that. I'm, I'm very direct with it, but I'm also very okay with it at this point, knowing that there's other opportunities on the other side, because you got to commit to getting better. And if, if you're not getting there, then that's you. That's just you not doing the work. Yeah. You know, the, the thing is, it's that is so powerful because a lot of times what we do is we kind of drag those people along. We're like, okay, next month, the next quarter. And as you said, it's the accountability. It's the, I'm coaching you. I'm talking to you each week. These are the priorities that I set. And if it's a you issue, it's a performance issue. And at the end of the day, you're not helping the team. You're not helping yourself. So let's find a better position for you. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I think as a leader that we have to be realistic with ourselves and don't beat yourself up because not everybody you hire or not everybody who's working with you is going to be a good fit. 100%. 100%. May I give a quick public service announcement? Go ahead. To all the leaders out there, I have never met a single leader that regretted acting too early when it comes to performance conversations. Ever. Ever. I avoid absolutes in my life as much as possible, but it always is. I should have acted earlier. I should have had this conversation earlier. I shouldn't let it fester. I should have seen this. It, it never is like, oh, I, I addressed their underperformance too quickly. I, I just don't hear that. And so, and you know what the good news is? It's probably because we're kind people and conflict is hard and these conversations are hard. I'm not, I'm not saying just like flip a switch and go, but just have that fire in your belly and the clarity in your head to know as a leader, if you see something that if you address it with, you know, directly and you care about a person, it's a good thing to do. It makes us better. It makes the person better. And that's okay. That's what we're all striving for. So sorry. I just had to get that, that public service announcement out there. That is okay. I have a saying it's hire slow, fire fast. And people are like, huh? Yep. And the thing is, it's like, okay, a salesperson is leaving. A salesperson is gone. Oh, they said I can add a new position and you want to go fast because we're salespeople innately, right? Sure. And so we want everything fast, but you have to do your due diligence up front. 
right? This is not just like a new deal that you're closing. You have to do your due diligence and you have to take that person through all of the, the ringer, right? Like I have a whole process on how I bring them in. I make them do a presentation. Like, do you know how to talk in front of people, right? Can you do research? Like all of these things. And literally when we have that 90 day onboarding, it's like, okay, did they check this box? Did they check that box? So you know. Otherwise, you have this person who you're dragging along for 12 months and they haven't hit their quota and they're bringing you down and they're, it's this whole thing. And so I love what you said. It's like, don't feel bad about it. Just move quick. Do it. Do it for sure. Good points. So in your current position, you are in the process of growing and building. Are you more into, have you gotten, I call them industry insiders or more people like, hey, I can train you up in what you need to know and you can be great on your sales team? Yeah, that's a great question. So to make sure I understand, just you're talking more about who's going to join the team. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we have somewhat of a, I don't want to say myopic view, but we tend to be kind of isolated in what we do in this particular segment of medical device because there's medical sales, there's medical device, there's implantable device, which is kind of where we are. And it's unique because... We not only have to sell and be super technical because we're talking about neuromodulation, neurophysiology, but we also have to be super empathetic and be able to work directly with the patient. So the skill set that we tend to see in my team is is a little un- unusual in a good way. In case anybody's listening, I'm not saying it's bad. It's just you're very technical, but you're, you're a salesperson and then you're kind of like a nurse. You know what I mean? It's like all these things together. That being said, it ends up being that we find a lot of people that are in the space that know of it or have had experience. Maybe they have a clinical background, though. Maybe they're a nurse or something like that that we tend to kind of grab and bring in. That all being said, I've been in situations that where organizations have relied on like 100%. We're only going to go hire other people in the industry. And I've been in other situations where like, no, we're going to get everybody fresh, like completely diverse opinion. And what I've kind of landed on is like the 75% rule, which is 75% of who we bring in will have intimate knowledge of what we do, but that we want to maintain this quotient of diversity of thought and perspective and experience and energy and background, because that's where innovation comes from. That's where growth comes from. And so we may mint four new like leaders three of them probably got promoted from being a sales rep before, but one, I'm probably going to look to go outside and find someone who doesn't have that exact experience because I think that creates a different and very optimal team dynamic based on, on what I believe is makes a lot of sense for our business. Yeah. And, you know, I think that it has to be a balance. Like you said, some people are only about, I call them industry insiders. And some people are only like, no, 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 no. I just want to train somebody. I don't want them to be, you know, damaged goods, if you will. Right. But there has to be a mix. Like there's a sales team that I'm I'm helping to put together. And that's what we did. It was actually more 50-50. It was like really strong salespeople industry experience. And so they talk, right? And so they can share like, okay, this is how I sell. This is the what the product is. Let's go on joint sales calls together, right? And when you build that organization that way, it just benefits everybody. It benefits you totally. as a leader because they're speaking cross-functionally and they're talking to each other and they're helping each other grow. And so it actually helps make your job easier. I totally agree. I couldn't agree more, especially because there's only one of you generally, well, always. And I always talk (laughs) about being a rate limiting factor as a leader. Like you don't want to be an obstacle. You don't want to be the reason that an organization performs slowly because it has to go through you or you have to train someone or you're the final decision maker. You want to go the opposite direction. You want to create the team as effective as possible away from you. And you do that by empowering them to kind of create this I almost call it like a flywheel. I think Jim Collins calls it a flywheel where it's just like people are growing and making themselves better all by themselves, just by the way you set up the dynamics and environment. So I'm, I'm a huge believer in that. So earlier you mentioned focus as a word, right? How do you focus in a startup? 
Oh my goodness. Uh, coffee. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, that's a really hard question because like this could, we, we go in a completely different direction about like your brain and meditation and just a bunch of other things that you just got to do to keep your clarity. I think for me, I try to do the two check-ins in a week with the team, but two check-ins for the day, which means like I set my intent in the morning, which is also like priority, which is like a meditation journaling thing, whatever. It's all kind of the same. Like these are the things that I need to get done today based on no distraction, right? Like it's the morning, it's a blank slate. And then you get to the end of the day and you say, well, how did I do? Right. And I think that process, which is not mine, I'm sure I've, I read it somewhere, I heard it, it like helps me stay on track with what I'm trying to accomplish right? The years are long, but the days are short. I think that's how it goes. And so you got to kind of just make sure you're staying as close as you can to the intent. I think if you start your day or your week without the intent or the focus, then it's quickly, it's easy just to be busy, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, you got to continue to measure that work against where you're trying to go. And so I'm, I'm not sure I'm answering your question because it's more of a tactical answer, which is just like every day I'm, I'm trying to say, this is what I want to focus on. And then I'm trying to qualify it. But it's really hard. I mean, it's really hard. I mean, I have anxiety about those red bubbles on my iPhone, about things that I've left unread and untouched. And this job has created more of those red bubbles than I could ever imagine. So I'm just trying to balance it all. So I asked you that because my my word for the year, so each year I kind of set my intention on a specific word and it's focus, right? Mm -hmm. And so I find myself like, and I verbalize this. So everybody on my team knows like, this is the word and this is actually the word the team is using. So they're always like, what's the Are we focused? Is this helping us get to where we're trying to go? And I think like you said, it's like you set your intention, whether it's a day, the year, the month, the week, the quarter, set your intention and check in with yourself to make sure that you're moving at the right cadence. Because I think especially in the startup world, it happens in large corporations too. You just find yourself doing so much. And it's like, we can do a lot. We can touch a lot, but I'm just one person. I just have one team and we just don't have the bandwidth to do it. Yeah, I would say just in adjacent to that too, you're, you're kind of saying it, you know, you asked like, how do I stay focused? But I think it's important to, whether you're a leader, at a startup, pretty much everybody's a leader, right? Because there's only so many of you, is to have a collegial approach to ask people why we're choosing to do things. Because sometimes they need help to be calibrated on their focus or the organizational focus. So, you know, I have multiple stakeholders, clinical operations and marketing and all these other people that I work with across our organization. And they'll come up and say, well, we need your team to do X, Y, and Z. And at first pass, I'm like, well, does that really fit into our priority and our focus? And so I'll just say, why? Like, why are we doing this? Where did this come from? Help me understand that. And sometimes it's just an education for me to be like, oh, yeah, that totally fits into our focus. I get it. Lack of education. I mean, but occasionally it's like, you're right. I didn't really think about that. Someone asked me to go chase the tennis ball. I went and chased the tennis ball and you're standing there. So give me the tennis ball. And it's like, okay, let's have this conversation so we get aligned. And I think, again, public service announcement number two, as a leader, be empowered to ask why. Just ask why. Get people's understanding of why they're coming to you and what they're asking for so you can maximize the outcome because that's what it's really about. It's not completing the task. It's about maximizing the outcome and being productive. So yeah, that's my thought on on helping others focus too. And you know, I think that the one thing that managers, leaders don't do well is I always call it managing up. So it's like, hey, the boss tells you to do this or asks you where you are on this. You just do it or you just drown or you don't tell them what you're doing, right? You're just like, I'm focused right here. I'm just laser focused on this. But I'm like, it's a conversation. Like you don't always, like you said, just ask why. Can you help me understand why you need me to do this in three hours? Like I know it's important, but does it have to be done in three hours? That's okay. That's actually why they hired you and they believed in you because of that tenacity that you had. Awesome. 
Yeah, well said. Completely well said and completely applicable. It's so real world, like every day, my boss will ask me for something and I will usually ask him what's my timeline and, you know, where should I prioritize this? And that's not to be like more difficult, but it's just to understand because there's a, he hired me to do a lot of different things. So I got to be able to, to really understand where this fits and then make the time for it. So I guess I would say, I hope that, you know, whoever's listening is in a space where they feel comfortable to do that. And, you know, and if they don't, you know, just try to set that expectation and even tell your, their boss or manager, Hey, next time this comes up, do you mind if I ask you? Cause sometimes that's easier. If you kind of set the expectation you're going to ask, then it feels a little bit more easy to get across than just like shooting a shot all of a sudden. So, but that is also critical to the health, I think, of an organization as they grow, for certain. Absolutely. So you've had a dynamic career. Tell me, what is one thing that you are most proud of? A lot of times people are like, oh, I can't pick one thing. But what is one thing that you're most proud of and accomplishing in your career? I mean, it's hard for me, truthfully, because like I don't, I don't feel like I'm done yet, so I don't really know what I'm capable of yet. I think that this is going to sound like really honest, but it is very honest is that I I think the thing that I'm proud of most right now is being in a really difficult situation, um, having the wisdom and confidence to know what I know, but also the humility of what I don't know. And I know that's not like a, like, that's not a a smart goal, right? It's not specific measurable, let's call those things. Like I get that, but I realize now more than ever being in this position, those are really critical factors to have because there's just so much coming at me any given day. And there's so many different egos and stakeholders and resources. And I'm just trying to maintain that objectivity of like, okay, I'm, I'm really good at these things, but I know I'm not good at those things. And I'm also okay with people knowing that and being like completely exposed to it so they can help me get there. Because I think ultimately what I'm doing now will be probably the biggest accomplishment I have. I mean, hopefully bringing this company to, you know, an IPO situation where you ring a bell, like those are things you dream of. I mean, literally dream of, and we're on that runway right now. And so if I do the job I need to do, I think that'll ultimately be one of the biggest things I've done in my career. But I think that starts now with how I behave and how I bring myself to work and, you know, how I try to do the best work I can. I love it. You're one an introspective leader, right? And um, I think that we all need to sometimes be humble and just like you said, my work isn't done. I'm just, I feel like I'm just getting started. Yeah, I've been doing this for two decades. I'm just getting started though. I love it. I love it. I love it. So Chris, if people want to connect with you, what is the one best way? Yeah. I mean, I always, I go to LinkedIn. That's kind of my social media platform of choice. Um, You know, I try to keep it balanced between work and just introspection and positivity and different things I'm reading and looking at. I think we all need need each other from time to time to pick them up. So LinkedIn's probably the best place. Uh, Love to hear your feedback. Shoot me a message. I try to do the best to respond to everything sincerely and uh, hope to connect with you in uh, real life. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a guest. This was a wonderful conversation. We really got to dig deep um, below the surface. Yeah. Thank you so much for making the time. I really enjoyed the conversation as well. Awesome. And that was another episode of The Science of Selling. Remember, leave us a review. Let me know. Did you like the interview? Did you not like the interview? And remember, in everything that you do, transform your sales. Thank you for joining us today on the Snack-Sized Sales Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave us a review. Learn how to continue increasing your bottom line by getting simplified sales strategies delivered to your inbox weekly by going to www.snacksizedsales.com. Trust me, your bank account will grow and love you.